Well, thank you all for joining us here today for this podcast. I have one of our favorite guests, uh, Leila Rafi, a good friend and somebody that I was looking forward to having on this podcast. Uh, over the years, we've spent a lot of time together from business meetings to uh, fun dinners, and uh, I was excited for everything that Leila has to share. So Leila, welcome to the podcast and uh, firing on all syllables is excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. I'm so happy to be here. So Leila, I know um, some of this will be redundant for, for me personally, but for our audience, especially the ones that don't get to know you really well, tell us a bit about who Leila Raff is, uh, your sort of your upbringing and, and your journey to, to being the successful lawyer that you are today. <laughs> okay, sure. So I was actually born in Iran. So I was born in the capital of Iran in Tehran back in November 1978. And that's around the time the revolution uh, was starting to happen. And so in May of 79, my parents left the country, um, thinking they would be back in a couple of months. And that was 44 and a half years ago. So we haven't been back. We ended up in a few different places in, in Europe, and then in Washington, and then in Vancouver, and then finally in Toronto um, by the time I started in grade one. Um, so I kind of think of myself as being uh, raised in Toronto. Um, I always wanted to be a lawyer, so that happened when I was three or four years old. Um, and I was true to that goal. And, um, you know, I worked hard and I, and I finally got to the goal that I wanted. And midway um, along my studies, my parents moved back to Vancouver uh, for my dad's work, took them out there. And I stayed back in Toronto and I did an exchange at UBC after a couple of years. But Toronto is really my home. So I always knew I would want to practice here and live here and just have all my roots in Toronto. So um, Toronto is, is where I always will be. <laughs> And uh, Leila, the uh, I think the especially having moved only at a few months old, then you really are a true Torontonian by every definition. Mm -hmm. But it, who had your biggest impact in your life growing up? I mean, considering uh, the journey and and sort of everything that has happened. Yeah, you know, I would say it's probably my mom. Um, my, my mom and I are, are quite different people, different personalities. Uh, she's quite private and introverted, and I'm um, very extroverted. Uh, but I've learned a lot about um, people who are introverted and more private through her. I also think she's one of the most confident, uh, secure people I know. Uh, she certainly is not fussed by what people think. Um, and she is quite sure of who she is and uh, what her expectations are of the people around her. And so I would say I learned a lot from her. She's very street smart as well. Um, so she typically can read people um, immediately upon meeting them. That's a skill I still don't have. Um, but she kind of made the biggest impact in my career. And she's always been my biggest supporter. So you know, at times in my career that have been more difficult or challenging than others um, or in my personal life, um, she's always kind of reminded me that I'm able to tackle any challenge or any obstacle that may be in my way. So she she and I are, are extremely close, but we're just, it's funny because we're so differently wired. Well, having met her, albeit briefly, Leila, I, I would, I would, that's, that was my guess that she probably had the biggest impact. And I think that's an, an extremely accurate description of her. So that's, that's <laughs> yeah. 
She knows her stuff. <laughs> you know, and one of the things I often ask is, what did you want to be growing up? But very few people had figured it out at three, four years old who wanted to be a lawyer, much like yourself. So that was actually, uh, th that had the answer built in. Uh, so I loved it. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to take away the question. No, no, it's, not at all. It's a it's... funny thing. I, there were, are no lawyers in my family. Uh, most of the folks in my family are engineers or scientists. We have one person that went and studied film. Um, but I, I like the idea of law because I thought it was a lot of reading and arguing and in my mind it was going to court. So I didn't, um, really end up going to court. Um, but that kind of changed along the way, but I knew that I wanted to be, you know, in a career where I could read and argue and debate. And I thought law made the most sense and I was fairly sure of it. And, I remember one of my friends in high school, he said, you're the only person that I met in high school who knew what you wanted to do and did exactly that. And I told him, well, I knew a long time before high school. Um, that was just, you know, years later, but um, I was pretty certain. So nothing really swayed me off of that. So see, your mom did rub off on you. You do, you didn't know early on who you were and what you wanted to be. So okay. yeah, that's very true, actually. <laughs> Very true. Uh, so the I know before we go sort of to your professional path, um, what are some of your hobbies, some of the things you like to do for fun? Well, I love to travel. So I'm very lucky because my work um, allows me the opportunity to travel quite a bit. So I, I absolutely love traveling just because I think, you know, seeing different parts of the world, learning different cultures, meeting new people like that really expands your mind. Um and your ability to really connect with people um, that are different than you. So traveling is uh, my probably favorite. It's my favorite pastime. Um, and then I'm quite social. So I really like seeing friends. So whether we're going out for dinner or a drink or a walk or just that connection with people is really important to me. Um, Unfortunately, I like to shop. So that means, um, you know, I have to work as hard as possible for as long as possible. Um, but I like doing those types of things. And then I read a lot. So, um, you know, I read for work, but then I read a lot in, in my outside life as well. So I'm always reading a different novel and I'm part of a couple of book clubs, um, including one for professional development with a bunch of U.S. Um, female lawyers. And so that's really important, I think, for development. Um, and I do a lot of reading as well. Um, I'm trying to work out and exercise, but that I'm not as committed to that as I am to other things. But that's kind of a new thing that happened in COVID, just to stay healthy. So I'm learning the ropes around the gym. No pun intended. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, it's uh, and and as I. If I were to to be a betting person, I was going to guess travel was uh, was going to be the first one, and and uh, I'm glad uh, I'm glad my bet would have been correct. It would have been correct. Travel by far is my favorite pastime, and I've just been um, blessed and lucky enough to do so much of it. Uh, as is mine, Leila. So it's always something I really appreciate, and uh, and also appreciate that we can be that we're fortunate to be able to do it. So that's that's yeah, for sure. We've exchanged photos before on exactly. travel trips. You've gone to some very neat places that I've never been to. So there are uh, huge areas of the world that I've never 
um, ventured in that I hope to soon, Australia and Asia. I'm supposed to go to Australia in October for work, so that should be quite interesting because I'll probably tack on a few days for a vacation just because it's so far away. So I wouldn't want to go just to a conference and come right home, um, but we'll see. Hopefully there's still time to do um, much of everything. When one thing I hear consistently that whenever I interview people that are sort of more mature in their career further ahead, they say, look, do it now, do it when you can. Don't wait yeah. for retirement. Don't wait for a particular, just sneak it in when you can, because time is what happens while you're making other plans. Yeah, it's true. Time really is what happens when you're making other plans and life changes. Um, you know, health and, and wealth is not always guaranteed. Uh, and uh, sometimes things happen that you don't expect. And then you're not able to have the flexibility to travel as easily as you could before. So there'll always be more work. <laughs> there'll always be more deadlines. There'll always be more transactions. So it's just a matter of like managing, which I think I do better now that I'm a little more senior in my career when I was younger. Um, I don't think I did a very good um, job of managing my time or balancing my time. I still did everything. I just cut my sleep. Um, and, you know, I, I was a bit of a soldier at, at work when I was a young lawyer. So um, it's nice to have just a little bit more um, control over my practice, which happens as you get more senior. So Leila, uh, that sets me up nicely for my next question to you. So there's a lot of listeners that know you or know you socially a little bit or, or have heard of you and they're like, what was Leila's career? Like, I want to know how it evolved. So take us through a bit of through your journey and, and your career and some of the more pivotal moments in your career that brought you to where you are today. Sure. So I had always wanted to be, you know, a lawyer that goes to court. So a litigator, I think, was in my mind as as what a lawyer actually is. And so when I was a summer student, I worked on a transaction in the Securities and Capital Markets Group, and I really liked the transaction, and I liked the adrenaline, and I liked, you know, um, having it in the newspaper and all that kind of stuff. And so I changed my interest, and it became more capital markets and securities focused, which is um, surprising because I didn't have a business background, didn't have an economics degree or an MBA, which I think is useful if you're going into securities or capital markets. I started my practice at Blake Castles. Um, so my first day as a lawyer was at Blake Castles and the market was so good at the time that um, the firm had hired six uh, lateral lawyers. So lawyers that had never actually worked as a lawyer but had finished their articling um, at a different firm. And they started with the Blake summer and articling students the same day. And so I worked at Blake's for a couple of years. It, it wasn't the right environment for me. Um, and I worked across from McCarthy's and then McCarthy's recruited me. They just got interested in me and, and they offered me a job and I decided to go. I just, I felt like I could probably excel in a, in a different environment at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, it was important to be able to like connect with people I worked with and, um, you know, have a, have a bit of a diversity in the people I was working with, like men and women and older and younger. And so I decided to move to McCarthy's, um, at that point, there was a, a woman who worked there that I had worked across a transaction on early on in my career, um, and she was uh, fairly happy at 
at McCarthy's. And so I went there and I spent, I guess, nine years at McCarthy's. And so I learned quite a bit. Um, I was given a lot of challenging work. Uh, there was a set of partners who gave me consistent work opportunities. And, you know, I worked very hard and I received great bonuses and I flew into income partnership early. Um, and I, I was quite, uh, uh, happy to have the opportunities that I did. I also worked in Calgary for a brief stint on a transaction um, that ended up dying, but I stayed out in Calgary for a few months just because the Calgary office was very busy at the time. Um, but I was very grateful for all those opportunities. Um, I struggled as an income partner. Um, it, it's a tough kind of spot to be in in any law firm because you're not really an associate, but you're not an equity partner. And so neither group. Um, kind of thinks of you as one of their own. So you're in this kind of um, middle period that some have called purgatory. It's it's not an easy place to be. Um, and so I was in income partnership. I was working for a key client of the firm um, on a huge modernization, and it was more corporate private M&A work. And that's kind of not uh, my specialty, like what I really love is capital markets and securities work. And so it pulled me a little bit away uh, from my interest. And so, you know, as I got deferred a few times, I realized um, I needed to make a change and I thought a, a new work environment would be would be good and um, would expose me to different opportunities. And, you know, almost a decade had passed and I had learned as much as I could, I felt, um, at McCarthy's. And so I made the difficult decision of transitioning my practice, um, which at that time was um, focused on this key client. And so, you know, I, I, I got the opportunity at Macmillan um, through meeting who is now the managing partner of Macmillan, Tim Murphy, and him and I just connected very easily because we're very similar and we have similar personalities. And I met the head of the capital markets group, Paul Davis, and we connected very easily and he just, he gave me a chance. He gave me a platform. Um, I told the firm that I didn't have a huge book of business um, because I had been working with this key client. So I didn't make any false promises. Um, and I moved into McMillan, which is kind of unique because it was maybe nine, 10 years into my practice. And so people do that more often now than they used to, but many times they do that when they have a practice. And so, um, you know, I really felt uh, supported at Macmillan and, and that people believed in me, I guess. And so it took me a few years to kind of get going, but I was able to build a book of business and the firm handed me some existing business. And, and so after three or four years, I really had a practice. And so I'm super grateful to Macmillan and, and particularly to Paul Davis and Margaret McNee, who who is now retired, um, just because they really um, encouraged me to grow and seek out new opportunities. And it was just a great um, refresh for me going into, you know, a, a different environment. I still have a lot of great friends at at McCarthy's and I see them often and I talk to them often, but for me, it was like a great move for my career and for my career development. And so, you know, it's interesting. Some lawyers will stay at the same firm forever and, and that may work for them. And then other 
people may move. And so it really depends on your circumstances and the type of work you're doing and who you're working with. And like one thing I learned throughout the course of my law career is that you can't plan or control every single thing that'll happen because things will happen that will surprise you, disappoint you, um, positive things, negative things, like all kinds of things. And so you just have to be able to kind of adapt and and be resilient and keep going um, because, you know, sometimes you might not get what you want um, or might not get it in the time frame that you want. And you have to kind of decide what's going to work best for you because law is a very difficult area. Um, it's not an easy profession. It's It's definitely not for the faint of heart. And so if you're unhappy uh, in your practice, it's it's that much more difficult to actually have a meaningful practice and work the hours that are expected of you. It just, you know, bleeds into so many aspects of your life that you have to kind of like what you do and um, be in an environment where you think you can thrive. And that may be different for everyone at different times of their career. I guess that's um, the most important thing to remember because my career has had a lot of twists and turns in it. Um, but I think I finally um, found the right spot. Well, and I think the even the twists and turns, uh, Leila, the, relatively normal. I think the especially to your point, it's it is becoming the pivoting and in, in, within different firms and sort of finding the right platform is becoming a bit more the norm than it per, perhaps was uh, even ten years ago when uh, certain lawyers would be have their entire career at one firm. So I think that's... yeah, for sure. Like when I started out, I think it wasn't as common in two thousand and five or six um, to have worked at two or three firms or even four firms. Um, but now, all these years later it's almost uncommon to find someone who's been at one firm the entire time. And I think, you know, the younger generation or the more junior generation, because some of them may be older, but m mature students, like they actually are quicker to make decisions. Like I, I don't think loyalty to a particular firm is, um, the same as when I was I was coming up like they're very much more cognizant of what will make them happy what they want they do usually want balance in their life with work and life like I haven't totally figured that out yet I'm still working on it but I just find that they're um they're stronger in their views in terms of where they want to be. And, you know, I think part of that is good because um, not everybody wants to be a partner at a law firm that that no longer is a carrot that works for everyone. There's lots of people who want alternative career paths, but they want to still work in a firm and have access to many different clients and, and the firms have had to adjust and, and kind of create those paths for everyone. Um, because if they don't, they're going to lose all their good people. So it's just everything is transitioned in terms of people's expectations and goals. And it's been quite a learning process for me. I mean, now I, I feel a bit old uh, when I look at, at the people that come through as students and younger lawyers, but it really only has been, you know, 15 to 20 years well you are not old i can i can tell you that so it's the <laughs> that's good thanks did, gary you this... might you might be conflicted but <laughs> you might be biased <laughs> uh, i i am not but you know the, the the one thing that is interesting is it's also a lesson for law firm leadership as well because retaining lawyers now in sort of this in this environment including at the partnership level is uh, is probably more important than it's ever been in, in yes. legal history so that's uh, yes for uh, sure 
and it's our evolution of the legal industry and it's something that uh, we should all be mindful of. Yeah, for sure. And you know what? I think almost all the firms are um, interested in what their people have to say, particularly with COVID um, and what happened with George Floyd and the world understanding that diversity and inclusion and equity matters um, and that people have to be treated with respect and be treated well. I think, you know, a lot of firms have tried to gather feedback from their lawyers, from their legal professionals, from their staff, you know, to make uh, the firm environment a better one. So, you know, one of our goals at Macmillan is to make the firm a great place to work for everyone. And that means something different to everyone, depending on their you know, history, age, demographic, culture, a whole bunch of different things. And so I do think law firms have um, started to think about those things. Sometimes the legal industry is behind every other industry, um, but I'm proud to say it's actually things are changing. And, and so that's a good thing. Um, it was a bit too conservative before and and there wasn't enough diversity, I think, in in the legal profession just generally. I mean, it's not something I really thought about when I was coming up. Um, but certainly the more junior people now think about it, talk about it. Um, you know, it's a, it's a topic that is discussed at, at interview level uh, within firms all the time. It's just um, when I was coming up, nobody really thought about it. It, it. it was just, you know, I received a lot of work opportunities. I worked hard at the time. I don't think a lot of thought was put into you know, gender or this or that. Um, but now it's nice to see that um, people are thinking things through a bit and making sure that everybody has uh, a good and fair experience, that people are being allocated work, that, you know, we have different types of students who look different and are different. And so we don't have a homogeneous kind of pool anymore which is nice. I, and I think that's across every single law firm. Absolutely. So Leila, you're an award-winning lawyer. You are an influencer in, in many ways. <laughs> uh, you are a professor. Um, how do you, what drives you? Uh, so two questions really to what drives you and how do you balance it? Because I know it's always a never, la an everlasting quest for professionals to figure out the balance, but sort of the drive and then the balance, uh, yeah, you know what? It's a good question. Like for me, I really love what I do. And so I enjoy working hard. Um, it sounds strange. And some of my friends who are lawyers don't even have a hard time believing it. Um, but I actually really love what I do. I'm so disciplined in my work. Um, and then the teaching, for example, I was given the opportunity by Wendy Locke, who's a partner at McCarthy's, to teach a class or two when she was leading a course at Western. And that just got my appetite going um, for teaching. And I quite liked it. I was very nervous back then. Um, but when I moved to Macmillan, I had the opportunity to apply to teach a full course at Queen's. And you know, it was good. I had a lot of the materials. I I was able to put together a course pretty easily. A bunch of my partners helped me mark exams to make it doable just because the classes were anywhere from 70 to 100 people. So that's quite a bit of work in terms of the exams. Um, but I love being around um, 
young people, fresh perspectives. Um, they're so interested in the topic and they ask such good questions. And some of the questions are things I've never even thought about, um, but it forces me to go back to first principles and it makes me feel young and relevant. Um, in COVID, it was very tough, I think, for the university students because nobody wants to learn securities laws on a camera with Zoom, as exciting as it is. It's very hard to keep people's interest for three hours when you're talking about taking over bids on a computer. Um, but the teaching is something that it comes very naturally to me. So to me, that's not really a chore. It's something I very much enjoy doing. And the other things I do, um, you know, I'm committed to, like for a while I sat on um, an advisory board for an organization that's um, driven towards providing networking opportunities to Persian women. Um, one of my friends at Gowlings, Parna Sabat, is a co-founder. And so that was meaningful to me. So when I would go to the events or, you know, talk about ways to fundraise, like that was very important to me um, to give opportunities to people in the Iranian community, something I didn't really think much about when I was a younger lawyer. Uh, and now I recently got on the Women in Capital Markets Board, which is a fantastic organization I've always been interested in. So I was thrilled that they recruited me to go on their board, again, like geared towards um, providing tools and resources to women to excel in the um, financial uh, industry area and the capital markets. So now Women in Capital Markets is called Versify, and that's just an exciting change. And so those things I do on the side of my practice, I love to do. So for me, they're not just like an additional task that takes time away from my outside life. Like a lot of things in my outside life are tied into what I do for my work. Um, and then I'm asked to speak a lot, as you, as you said, on different topics, anywhere from like investor rights to securities laws, to gender diversity, to corporate governance. And those things I love to do. And typically, um, again, it's quite natural for me. So I don't find I'm stressed or worried about it. Um, I can be pretty conversational. And so it's almost like a break for me from my like day job and my work and um, grinding down on, on paper and, and pushing out paper. Like if I didn't do those things, I don't think I would be able um, to be as happy as I am at work, as disciplined as I am. I need to have the other things to just, you know, keep me connected to the community. I also think it's important for the younger people. Um, and I'm told that the more I do certain things, like I'm a mentor for U of T and, you know, the, the women I have mentored through the Women's Association have told me it's very important for them to be able to talk to someone, you know, who's a woman who may look like them, who, you know, may have the same interest and in, to see my career develop and to be able to access me to ask questions and, and things like that. I certainly didn't have that coming up, um, but I didn't think I was missing anything. It's just not something that crossed my mind. Um, so for me, it's very natural and I just have a curiosity in terms terms of um, meeting people and making connections. Like, you know, one time I think I said to my mom when I was a young child, like I was upset that I wouldn't be able to meet every single person in the world um, during my time. And then my mom gave me such a, a weird, funny reaction because that would be her nightmare, meeting every single person in the world, you know. But I was stressed out by the fact that like there might not be enough time to meet everyone who lives in the world. Um, so it's just a funny, like that's just, you know, that's just me. 
it's it's a funny thing to be worried about as a child not wanting to meet everybody but it's also telling of <laughs> of the professionals you are today and being omnipresent and uh, at many events yeah. and the speaking engagements and the involvement so you're yeah. certainly putting a good dent into the world population meet <laughs> yeah i'm trying i definitely know bay street um i can't walk around the path without running into a bunch of people i know um a, a funny group of people but um but i've definitely got that area down <laughs> and i can attest to it it's uh i have yet to meet somebody where i'm like oh and you know Leila, there's like yeah of course i met her there or or i have this <laughs> yeah. story and and it's almost it almost always turns into a conversation <laughs> so that's yeah that's very funny. accurate <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm everywhere you can't uh, get rid of me unfortunately <laughs> no no it's it's a good thing especially when uh you know it builds credibility the the one thing in today's world is we can be really good technical lawyers and you can have people that are really good at what they do but humans are in the very nature they build trust with relationships and knowing that you yeah i totally think that's true and honestly i think law is about relationships like it's no longer clients are no longer just giving firms work based on their brand without really knowing any of the lawyers on a handshake you know charge me a million dollars to do this file like you have to be in the market you have to create relationships you have to just be human like sometimes i just think of it as like you have to be human so you know if you have a client who's sad or going through a difficult time, treat them like a human being, like give them some um, space or don't hound them on, on, on something that's not urgent. Um, take an interest in their life. Uh, you know, I, I had a client once whose children were being bullied in school two clients actually who didn't know each other and so when i would see articles on bullying in the newspaper or otherwise i would send them and i would just think if they didn't want to look at them they could just delete them but i think those things have a lot of meaning because if people think that you actually care about them and not just their business they will start to trust you and i don't do those things you know i had a friend who asked me if i do those things with the intention for people to give me work like in a strategic manner and um that's that's just not who I am. So, you know, some of my close friends at McCarthy's are now in-house and they've given me work. But when I was at McCarthy's, I didn't befriend them because I thought that they would go in-house and I wouldn't work there and they would give me work. Like that's not, you know, it's just this desire to get to know people and, and see how they tick and, and get close to people. And so, I've just been very lucky that all of a sudden that's become valued in the legal profession and, you know, people now understand relationships matter and, and that's a key part of building a trusted advisor relationship. Like, I'm not sure that people made that connection in the past. At least people who weren't rainmakers didn't make that connection, I don't think. No, and I think, uh, Leila, the, the real takeaway there is that developing genuine relationships is so key, um, not with an yep. agenda, but just truly caring about people, because that's how you build trust, right? Like, yep. you know, people are not stupid. When you're doing it with an agenda, they can see through it. And when it's done genuinely, yeah, it's appreciated. Yeah, they can see through it. It's very true. And, you know, if you don't know someone and you just call them up and cause they get a new job and you, you try and say like, give me the work. Like it just, like, where were you through the course of their career? Like when they left a firm or when they changed their in-house job or like, did you care at all about their development or are you just interested to try and get a piece of um, the pie now that they've moved? Like, I, I don't, I can't even, 
even imagine doing something like that. So to me, it's just a genuine interest in people's career development and where they end up. And and I'm happy to, you know, send them articles about their business or about their industry area, even when I'm not their lawyer, just because I think of them if I read something. And I, you know, I don't do that with any intention behind it other than it just makes me think of them. Um, and so, you know, it has to be natural, uh, I think. And, and that's what makes it a lot easier for me is that I don't really have to think about it. Well, you're also one of the most responsive people I know via email, and and, and I certainly deal with a lot of responsive people. But it's like your your response time is it's amazing. And uh, yes, it's funny. People call me. I've been called a vampire many times before <laughs> um, by colleagues and people close to me in my outside life because, like, if you email me at three a.m., I may respond at like three o three a.m. Um, in any time zone. I uh, I'm very fast on my email. Sometimes I have to slow it down. But no one's ever going to email me and not get a response. <laughs> like if you don't, then there is a reason why I'm not responding because I'm very, uh, I'm very responsive. But I always think, you know, clients also want you to be responsive. So even if you have to think something through, it would be nice for them to know that you've gotten the email, you acknowledge it. So it just doesn't hang in the ether and they're wondering, did she even get the email? Um, so I always try and do that um, to make people feel that they're important and that I receive the inquiry or request and that, you know, I will get back to them if it doesn't have an immediate response. And that's very important, right? Because the, it's something we undermine and we often don't fully appreciate the responses. And, and so that somebody says, okay, this was, this is being thought about. I, I will have a response within X time. I don't have to worry about, did she get it? Did she not get it? Did, did it go to spam? Did it, is she yeah, traveling? Right? right. Like those are, that's why it's so important. And then with clients, like they don't want to necessarily forward an email and say, did you get it? Because they might be like, oh, I wonder if this is going to cost me. Like, is it going to be another point one or another, you know, whatever, like legal is expensive. Um, sure. When you're running a business, like you want your money for the business and, and you want to be as efficient as possible with legal. So just trying to understand that and, and go back. I mean, some clients for some clients, everything's urgent and you have to kind of manage around that and, and kind of, um, you know, temper their expectations. And there are ways to do that, I think. Um, and then other clients really only do say something's urgent when it's urgent. But I think all clients like to be acknowledged, um, even if something you're going to go back to them in a week or in two or three days. And so responsiveness, I think, is a key Work discipline and responsiveness are keys to being successful um, and building relationships. And so all three are, are things I kind of do naturally, which is which is great. So Lila, there's many, there will be many young uh, women out there, whether it's their associates, whether they are in law school, or perhaps even undergrad that say, I want to be Layla when I grow up. Um, no, I don't know about that. <laughs> and, and, and grow up in the sense that uh, you, you're still uh, young and still uh, the sort of the, the, the you've had some uh, some career path, but at the same time, the, they want to see, okay, what is Layla doing so that I can be set up for success like Layla? Yeah. So what advice would you have for those women? You know, I would say um, don't be afraid of taking risks. Um, you know, 
surround yourself with people who value you, um, who believe in you. Having the right people around you is essential. Um, sometimes I haven't had the right people around me and, and that was not helpful um, to my career or to my development. I also think people should do what's natural for them. So if someone um, feels awkward at a networking event, they shouldn't try and push themselves um, to be super social and extroverted at a networking event. They can show up, but they can, you know, maybe chat with one or two people. They can write an article. Um, you know, they can attend a course. They can do other things um, to develop profile or to gather skills. Um, there's not one way to be successful. I also think if they're working in a firm and, you know, they're a bit more shy or introverted um, and they're worried about work opportunities, they can really speak to their mentor about that. They should have a mentor ascribed to them. Many times they have an informal mentor too, and they should say, you know, can you walk me around or can you try and solicit work for me? Or no one's going to take as much of an interest in your career as you. Someone told me that when I was a lot younger, and it's very true, and I always say it. So you have to be in charge and you have to kind of um, solicit and get people to um, help you blossom in the way that makes sense for you. So I never think it's a good idea to try and um, push yourself to be someone you're not. But I think look at your strengths, look at your goals, plan it out, think about it when it's quiet and no one's around, and then try and do things that will help you get on the path to achieving that goal. And think about why you want to um, you know, be a lawyer. Like maybe the reasons aren't the right reasons and maybe law is not right for you. I've had mentees that have thought that they want to go to law school, but when we finish our program together through U of T, we realize something else might be better suited for them, like journalism or other things, right? Because law is not a profession to go into if um, your goal is just to, you know, make a lot of money or it's, it's something that is not true to actually what the work is going to be day to day because it's a very hard gig. Like it's not, it's not easy. Um, and certainly it becomes painful if it's not your passion. Um, so I just try and always remind people to think about what they're passionate about and to work towards um, their goals in a way that's natural to them. And there's lots of ways to do that. And there's lots of books and resources um, like Delee from has a ton of books and resources about, um, you know, being female and, and going into law and she is a lawyer and she's a neurologist and she's an author and a coach. Like there are very good resources out there um, that will allow you to stay true to who you, you are and develop a profile and, and hopefully, um, you know, a, a career that's meaningful to you. Thank you, Leila. A lot of good pieces of advice there for, for any listeners. Uh, so I hope so. <laughs> uh, one thing that I'd be curious to get your take on is uh, we know that the legal space is, has evolved and will continue to evolve, perhaps even faster with the advancements in technology that we're seeing. For sure. Uh, culturally, where do you see the sort of the legal uh, industry being 10 years from now? Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a lot of advancement, um, including on diversity and inclusion and equity, and that's changed things. I think AI is a thing that all the firms are thinking about and um, testing with. Um, obviously, 
it has the capability or capacity to change um, some of the work that we do um, in terms of research or memos or um, work that um, you know, young, younger or more junior people may be doing. I think brand is really important. So I think, you know, law firms will always have to stand behind their brand. And so they'll always have to be people um, working on things and double checking things. So I don't think AI will replace lawyers. Like I know that's been in the paper and, and I think AI may um, supplement um, uh, a law firm's capabilities, but I think we'll always need people thinking about things and problem solving. But I, I do think, you know, there can be efficiencies in, in law. One of my, uh, one of my friends from law school is, is one of the people that first came forward with the so uh, legal software business, like that reviews contracts and looks for things. And, and that became really, really popular, um, after she created her company and it was bought by Deloitte. And so that changed the industry a bit as well, you know, um, where we had software providers doing an initial check of a contract and looking for things. And then we have a student or young lawyer um, checking the contract. So I think, you know, the law, law industry will have to continue to evolve. Um, it may not want to at times, but it will have to just to stay relevant. And, you know, as, as, if one or two firms do something, all, all the other firms have to kind of get in line because we're all operating in the same market. Um, some of us access the mid-market easier than others, but I think, you know, we're all thinking about the same things. And, um, you know, AI is a reality that we're going to have to get used to and incorporate into our business in, in a way that makes sense, that doesn't affect our brand. But I, I think we'll always need lawyers. I mean, I hope so, because I'd like to always have a job. <laughs> I, I was at an, an AI uh, talk last night with a, with a professor, an academic that has really contributed a lot to industry, Leila. And it's really, uh, all the indications are that the, the AI is predictive, but judgment is still at the human level. So the, Yeah, judgment is, exactly. And and the because we have judgment, it's it's uh, what differentiates us. And, and yeah, it's very lucky that our we have we have that because it it still gives us that one up of anything that we're able to create or um, do. But I do think it it can be used in a in a way that can increase efficiencies for sure. Like it's not something we can ignore, um, but it's not going to replace uh, lawyers. Particularly, I think more junior lawyers have been worried about oh, what happens to all their work. Like we still need them, um, and so that won't change. <laughs> So Leila, I do want us to end with a few what we call rapid fire questions, which are just fun and sort of first word that comes to mind. Okay. So what is your favorite word? Yellow. I love it. Uh, what word do you hate? Roadblock. Uh, what word do you have a hard time pronouncing, if any? Vulnerability. <laughs> I love it. You had no trouble. Uh, what is your favorite word in another language, if any? Merci. Yeah, merci. Which also means thank you in Farsi for all the listeners. <laughs> thank you, Gary. I thought you would say that. <laughs> How many languages can you speak? Two. And one word to describe yourself? Tenacious. 
and if I may say so, very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's other words people would use, but I prefer tenacious. <laughs> but it gets the point across. Leila, I, I have so many questions I wanted to ask you and so many more things we could talk about. I think that we'll probably have to do an encore to this podcast just so yeah, that... Yeah, I would love that. I, I love spending time with you, Gary. And, you know, I really respect the business that you've built and your relationships with many, many people. And so I, I feel so connected to you always. You're like family to me. So anytime. No, and, and you know, what's nice about this is so many people know you in the industry, but sometimes it's it's hard to get an aspect like this where it's you get to know somebody a bit more intimately. It's, a bit more personal. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I was grateful for the opportunity. Thank you. And thank you for your time today. Of course.